Aloha, everybody, and welcome to another installment of the Pod Squad. Chad Blair, Honolulu Civil Beat, and today is part two of our discussion with the candidates for Honolulu City Council District 4. There are only two candidates, a special election, April 13th. We spoke with Tommy Waters previously. That's posted on the website. And now, not far behind that, is Trevor Ozawa, who is in the Whisper Room to talk about his campaign. Welcome, Trevor. Thank you, Chad. Thank you for having me. I can call you Trevor, right? I've known you a little yeah, bit. Yeah. <laughs> so first of all, I want to make sure that I got the details right, uh, equal time, but the ballots, have they gone out yet to the District 4 members, or is that happening soon? That's going to happen on March 22nd or somewhere around there. Okay. And this is just to the registered voters in District 4, which is, correct me if I'm wrong, but essentially, is it already Kalama Valley, or is it Hawaii? It's Ka- actually all the way to... Makapu'u Lighthouse. That which, far? Yeah, so all of Kalama Valley uh, and all the way out to Kiwalo Basin. And it kind of goes with Ala Moana Shopping Center, Waikiki, half of Kapahulu, all the way to Hawaii. Parts of Kahala, I'm guessing. And Diamond Head. Aina Haina. New Valley, Kuleo'o, Wailaiki, Wailainui. Huge district. So yeah. I'm and guessing... Mon- Monolani Heights as well. Wow. I mean, what do people tell you when you're canvassing, when you're out there going door to door? Well, people out there are wanting me to be back in office to finish the job that I started. And people were a bit confused. Um, Some people still didn't know that there was an election, so it's great that we're telling everybody that. They don't know about the special election. Yes, the special election. Um, And that people are very concerned right now with everything that's going on in in the city and county, specifically with regard to having a check-in balance on the mayor, um, ensuring that our city council seat is represented by somebody that's actually voicing the opinions and the concerns and representing our district and our community first and not beholden to any special interests or the mayor's agenda. Um, and that's that's troubling to a lot of the constituents, really. I'm, that That is a consensus. They want to make sure that this council member is a check and balance to the mayor. They're also concerned with the rail project and everything that they've been reading in the news lately. Uh, about the rail project. And We're I'm, talking about uh, the the federal subpoenas. There's three now. Yes, yes. The audit still with the um, the state auditor. There is now two of the four scheduled audits from state auditor Les Condo. We're waiting for two more there. And there was recently in your former chamber, perhaps your chamber again, uh, a now a forensic audit that is being called for as well. What What is people thinking about all this stuff? People want it. And I've been supportive of a forensic audit for over three years now, um, I've been supportive of, of more transparency and auditing Hart. Um, and in fact, we passed an audit on Hart in the past, in which shortly thereafter, Dan Grabowskis left. You know, and, um, and and we had turnover there because things weren't going a- appropriately then. So we've had more of the same. It's troubling when you actually read these audits. You know, I've had more time, obviously, since I. Uh, <laughs> have been out of office. Involuntary leave, I Right, guess. right, exactly. <laughs> um, I've been campaigning full-time. But in addition, I've been reading these state audits. It's just troubling to see that, you know, you have engineers, individuals, making $50,000 a month. That's just, it's just ridiculous. And you see that in t- today's newspaper, uh, the state has indicated that they are not going to be paying for any more funding towards the rail until the federal issues are resolved, as as the um, state has put it. Well, let me ask you, do you have 
confidence or are you uh, lacking confidence that this thing will be done for $9.2 billion all the way to Alamoana Center? I'm really not sure at this point in time. You know, the federal um, inquiries are very troubling because it really puts a, a cloud uh, over this entire project. It's not a little bump in the road. You know, it's a big deal. When uh, apparently the Secretary of Transportation for the federal government, when she met with uh, our governor, apparently recently, she did not want to discuss rail. That's right. That's what I heard. So It's true. I heard it from the governor himself. Okay. Being that they couldn't talk about something that's the the subject of an ongoing investigation. Exactly. And so if, if the Secretary of Transportation is taking it that serious, we here in Honolulu should be doing the same. And now that the state is saying that they're not going to pay uh, anything further until the federal inquiries or federal investigation is complete um, or until they get uh, clearance relief from the federal government to do so. I think that that sends a strong message, especially as we're in the budget process here in the city and county of Honolulu. What can we pay for, right? I mean, if this is a criminal investigation, what can you pay for? Uh, that's That's a big question. It's not just continue on and on and on. And that's why... When you, when we saw some of my colleagues at the city council discussing this forensic audit, and they wanted to add in that, you know, it's our desire, uh, this forensic audit not stop construction or not delay the project. Well, that's not possible right now <laughs> because there is this inquiry in which um, you really got to stop, be prudent, do your due diligence, and ensure that um, that our taxpayer dollars are being spent appropriately and that we have clearance, really, from the federal government to continue on with this project. They are a partner in this project. And so if they're looking into it, um, we have we have to give them deference. $1.5 billion in federal funding, more than half of it already encumbered, spent, essentially, and there's a concern that we might have to give that back. Uh, we'll go back to the issues. I do want to just go back in time for a moment. Tell me what November the 6th and November the 7th were like for you. Uh, you went to sleep, I'm guessing, and probably didn't sleep very well election night, looking like you lost to Tommy Waters, woke up in the morning with the printout from the early hours saying, no, in fact, that you won by a very no narrow margin. What was that like? Yeah, November 6th, um, it was a back and forth throughout the night and like you said uh, when when we went to sleep uh, we were down 72 votes and when I woke up at about 4.56 a.m. I realized that we were up by 22 votes and I had to double check that and then I started to see it on the news and I was Wow, yeah, I was definitely ecstatic. I got out there. We <laughs> Reporters went, calling you already? Yeah, you know, my phone was actually dead. Uh, oh, your battery service was just yeah, pow. Exactly, so I was plugging it in to recharge it. And uh, and then I got out there and did some sign waving in the morning. And, uh, you know, it was like deja vu. What deja happened? vu from four years from four ago. four years ago. Yeah. And the reason why I say that is... Um, you know, four years ago really wasn't too different from, from this last election because four years ago when we went to sleep, I believe I was up 47 votes. When we woke up, there were uh, some absentee late. Not They're not late, but they were coming in toward the later part of the day, right? 
I just want to make that clear because all the absentee ballots that were counted came in before 6 o'clock p.m. So these ballots are counted after the state office of elections at the state capitol has counted all the other ballots across the state that have flown in from across the state for other races. And then they go ahead and these absentee ballots are, are verified by the city clerk to make sure that the signatures are correct. And then they're counted at the uh, Office of Elections down at the state capitol. So they're really the last priority because typically they don't make a difference. But in our case, we have a high voter turnout, I think the highest in the entire state for our, our district, 60-something percent voter turnout, which is huge. And so four years ago, more ballots came in, but the thing is that I was still up by 41 votes. So it didn't seem like a big deal to people because they didn't realize that a lot more votes actually did come in. Same thing here. Um, about 800 votes came in or something like that that were counted. And um, 350 of those were absentee ballot mail-in. And those were, were all in before 6 p.m. They were counted, and then I was up by 22 votes. So I really saw nothing wrong this time. With, with what happened. It was the same way that it was done. Well, flash forward, because you were set to be sworn in as council chair in early January. You had the 5-4 the vote, if you will. and then Actually, it was going to be a 9-0. It was actually going to be all nine. It was going to be unanimous. Right. And yet, that didn't happen. And instead, the Hawaii Supreme Court did what they did. And I got to give you your say on this before we go on to other campaign issues, because uh, that's really what we're talking about today. But what was your reaction and to this day, what the, the Hawaii Supreme Court ruled, which is basically uh, gave the suggestion to the state, which then ordered the, the, the rematch? Well, I respect the integrity of the court. But now we have a new election. Um, it's going to cost us at minimum $250,000 from the city. Um, all when all said and done, probably about a million dollars total spent Jeez. between super PACs for my opponent, um, which I'm not accepting any super PAC money. And also we are disenfranchised out here in our district. We had 40,000 votes that were tossed out and we had no representation for over a month, month and a half. And so, you know, that that's what, that's what we got to do now, but we're here and I'm happy that we get the opportunity to put the power back into the people. Because at the end of the day, this election will be won based on whoever the people that turn out to vote select. And with that, we have to say, look, democracy will work one way or another. Okay, thanks for opining. I know that you've been asked a lot about what happened with the court's decision. Um, but let's get to what you're telling folks now. First of all, what advice do you have to your constituents regarding the ballots? We certainly don't want them to be mailed in after a certain time. Is that right? So when should well, they try and get them in? Well, the, the thing is that no law has changed, right? So the, the laws that took place in November for our race are still in place. And the funny thing is now we're doing an all-mail-in ballot election. Although there is some walk-in allowed at Honolulu There's some walk-in at Honolulu Hale, which is out of the district and far away. That's true. From a lot of people. But now what we've been told is that look, the, the city clerk is going to be there and pick up the ballots even earlier than perhaps 6 o'clock just to make sure that they have it before 6 o'clock. And that, that that concerns you. That concerns me just because if the rule is 6 o'clock, you know, and now we've got people are people involved in the election process are are afraid to follow the law because of litigation, essentially, that, again, we're going to disenfranchise some voters um, 
because they're scared of people taking things to court and perhaps changing the outcome again. Okay. So, Give us, first of all, your website. Where can we find out more information about Trevor Ozawa? Uh, TrevorOzawa.com. Easy enough to find. Uh, I was looking over the website, and when you look at your issues page, um, public safety is, is number one. Tell me why. Well, public safety is a core city service and is what we expect the city to do. It's a function that nobody else can do for us as far as government. Uh, that's our sole responsibility at the city and county. Fire, police, paramedics, lifeguards. These are things that we need to do well. And I've always said that the city and county should make sure that our core services are delivered well and done well to our constituents before we start taking on everything else, right? Trying to uh, derail at all costs. Um, we forget that we gotta pay for the things like sewage and roads and sidewalks and make sure that our parks are nice, bring back vibrancy to our neighborhoods. Those are the types of things that matter to people. Because when you start getting into these pet projects, doing rail at all costs, especially when people are feeling pressure from special interest groups to do it at all costs, you start to lose focus of what your core services should be, what you're charged with doing in the charter. And uh, and that's why I think public safety is up there. Okay. Uh, and I want to bring up also homelessness, which is related to public safety. Absolutely. But it's also related to affordable housing. Where are you on that? Because you have now have been on the council when some of these set lie bans and other legislation has gone through. Where do you stand, particularly uh, concerning your constituents? I've been a big supporter of enforcing the law evenly throughout the state or throughout the island. In our district, I had to pass three resolutions urging the city and the state to clear out homeless encampments, specifically on Diamond Head, where we have hundreds of people living there. And part of the issue that I have is, you know, when we cleared out about 225 homeless from the slopes of Diamond Head a couple of years ago, I had been asked by one of the constituents in the area, well, how many people were cited for anything? How many people were checked to see whether or not they had uh, any outstanding warrants? And this person's concerned because their backyard, their, their back patio, looks out to that slope, and they see at nighttime little fires around the area, and they have three kids. They're looking out there and saying, when they go to sleep, they hear things out there that are disturbing to them, they see little fires. And so they asked, how many of these people perhaps had an arson background? How many people in this area were perhaps sexual predators? And that's a fair question to ask uh, if you are living in that area. When I asked that question of the mayor's administration, as well as the state, they just said, look, so long as people got off the land that day and didn't give us a problem, we didn't cite them, we didn't ask them for ID, we didn't check them at all. To me, that's not doing your job. The very least you could do is at least write down a list of names, right? And just give them a warning. Say, look, we, we're asking you now to not come back. How do, you know if, how do you know if they come back again a second, a third, a fourth, a fifth time? How do we let that go when we enforce the law in Kapilani Park when people accidentally walk through the park after a certain time when the park is technically closed? And then they get cited yeah. for petty misdemeanors and got to appear in court. Where I stand today is we need to stop just throwing more money at the problem. Like 
the mayor has requested more and more money for the Department of Land Management to purchase more buildings, to put more homeless people into them. Like on Young Street, we just purchased a multi-million dollar commercial building that has to go through a tremendous amount of retrofitting and, and changing to become a residential place. And we're going to house some homeless people in there. My issue is it's not sustainable for the long run. We need to start giving that money to the professionals, the mental health providers, uh, mental health service providers, the nonprofits, that are the social workers that are able to do this in their capacity and really step out of the way and let them do their job because we have not seen a decrease in the number of homeless the entire time that the mayor's been pushing this housing first, housing first, housing first only. We have to do something uh, else. And it's not just to oppose what he's doing. Absolutely not. We're not seeing results. And so while I have, I gave that a shot in the first four years, I think it's seriously time to change course. Okay. Two final questions for you. You've got four years under your belt. Um, what are you most proud of? And your website does have a list of accomplishments, but when you look at that, what rises as, boy, that's what I real, I'm glad I got that thing through. I, I got that law passed. I had that, whatever the case may be. Fighting for the preservation of of land in our district, uh, the Ivy Coast Malkalands, was decades uh, in, in the works that the community was fighting for that. I was so happy to be a part of it and bring it uh, to fruition. Um, I'm not taking credit for doing that myself. The community, like I said, has been doing this for decades. But I was just happy to close the loop on that, as well as Connie Spring, uh, across from Kuleo'o and New Valley area, um, our, our really precious Connie Spring that has our native, uh, native Hawaiian fish in that area breeding and, and growing and going into the pond and heading out to the bay, that that means a lot to me, especially as a native Hawaiian. Mm-hmm. The third thing, up on Pico Ridge, I've been working uh, to preserve over 350 acres of land there and to stop a development on the steep slope in Kuleo'o that's actually a part of that, that land deal. And so I'm, I'm, I've been able to stop it thus far. I want to continue to close the loop and actually have that purchased by the Clean Water and Natural Lands Fund. So those types of things are going to outlast um, my tenure uh, in this office, whether I have one term or two terms. And I think that's just a big accomplishment. Um, another one is bringing social parity to to the city and county, like putting uh, baby changing stations. Oh, that's right. That in, was yours. Wasn't yeah, it? yeah, in men's and women's restrooms. And then I guess Ashton Kutcher liked the idea because he started pushing it around the country too, but... I doubt he heard about ours here, but he's <laughs> but he's a dad like me, and um, in this day and age, you know, dads got to change diapers, and so. <laughs> so, final word. Why should people in District 4, registered voters, pick Trevor Ozawa instead of Tommy Waters on the April 13th special election? Well, I bring an independent voice to the community that they know that they can trust that what I'm saying is for our community's best interests and not the mayor's. I'm not going to be a rubber stamp to the mayor. I'm going to be a check and balance as I always have been. There are things that we agree on, me and the mayor and his administration, but there are times that are most critical for this district that matter the most to them, that we have to stand up and actually uh, fight for this community. Uh, I'm also the only candidate from the district, you know, born and raised in this area, went to school, uh, kindergarten to sixth grade at Kamilawiki Elementary, grew up in the area, 
playing sports, and I think it just shows where my heart is. I'm not trying to come into this district to hold a seat just to hold it. I got into this race to fight for my family and for the other families like mine, uh, young and old, that are trying to survive here, trying to uh, be able to afford to stay here. And that's exactly what I want to do. I want to make sure that our future in Honolulu is better than the past. And I want to make sure we're at a critical time. We have to change course. We have to stand up to special interests. We have to stand up to the machine and actually say, we cannot sustain the current practices that we're doing. We are losing our children, our best and brightest, as well as our retirees. And Hawaii will not be the same if we lose all these great people that have done so well for us over the years. They have that local spirit, they have the aloha spirit, and they have local values. Our greatest export cannot be our local people. Okay. Trevor Ozawa, former council member, perhaps council member to be, depending on what happens on April the 13th, in the Honolulu City Council District 4 special race. Trevor, thanks for coming on to the Pond Squad. Thank you. It's so short. Yeah, I know. Time flies by, but we'll see. Uh, depending on what happens on the election, we may visit with you again. And you can visit us at civilbeat.org and follow us on Twitter and Facebook. For Civil Beat, for the Pond Squad, I'm Chan Blair. Take care and aloha. Aloha.